Well, good morning, church. Let's start this morning with a quote from our 26th president. Does anybody know who that is? Because you were here last service. (laughs) Theodore Roosevelt. In any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The worst thing you can do is nothing. Tony Robbins, a motivational speaker, says this. It is in your moment of decision that your destiny is shaped. And to be a good pastor, we have to talk in threes. So the third one comes from leadership guru, John C. Maxwell. Life is a matter of choices. And every choice you make, makes you. Well, as some of you heard, my name is Nathan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Creekside. And I want to start this morning by asking you a question. With these quotes up here, are these true? Do we really believe in the power of decisions? That life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. Because if we think about our own lives... We all have made multiple decisions to get us just here today. Some major decisions and some minor decisions, like what did I eat this morning or what am I going to eat for lunch? Although for some of us, that might be a major decision. So sorry if I insulted anybody. (laughs) But with this idea of how important decisions are, I would like you guys to answer this question out loud, out loud. What are some of the most important decisions you have made in your life? Let me ask it again. What are some of the most important decisions you have made in your life? Husbands, your wife just nudged you. Go ahead and say some out loud. What are some of the most important decisions you have ever made? Marriage, perfect. Kids, Nobody else has made any important decisions in their life. Career following Jesus. That's a good one. That's a good one right there. Anything from this side right here? Where you live. It's a great one to make. As you guys have already heard, following Jesus, marriage, work, where you'll live, these are all decisions that really shape your life. They influence your family, your friends, and your career path. And most decisions that we make start with a call or a question. Will you marry me is a call toward marriage. And cute enough, uh, because I went short for service, I'm going to share this. The song that we just sang, Build My Life, was actually sung at my wedding. Because it was what Heidi and I wanted our marriage to be based on. A decision of building our life on Jesus. And so question, will you marry me, with the call. We have these all the time. Where will I live? A call to the location that we'll live. What will I do for a living? What do I want my life to be about? A call towards vocation. Will I follow Jesus? A call towards the man who walked the earth and died for us. There are some decisions that we make that truly 
make us. And when we feel a call towards something, we make a decision to go after it or to let it go. And today we're going to look at a section of scripture in which Jesus calls his first disciples. When we read this passage, I want you to take a moment to really think about what Jesus is saying to the disciples. But I also want you to take a moment to think about how do these men respond to this call? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Mark 1. And we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. And once again, look at how Jesus calls them, but also look at how these men respond. Because the decision that they made defined the rest of their lives. Mark 1, 16. And we're going to read verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus, as we unpack this verse, I pray that our hearts, minds, and souls would be open to what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are really coming from you and not from me. Lord, I pray that we would see the example of the disciples, but know that you are calling us as well. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in a sermon series going through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is like an action movie. All the events in it come at you so quick. One of the Gospel of Mark, the author Mark, one of his favorite words is immediately. In this passage right here, we see it twice. But what this means is that the words that Mark uses for this book, they're concise, they're short, it's sweetened, but they're important. And so when we see verse 16 start with the Sea of Galilee, we have to take notice about it. We have to think about why is the Sea of Galilee important? Well, if you take a look at the map, the Sea of Galilee is not really a sea, it's a lake. It's just huge. It is huge. But for any area that's close to there that wanted fish, the Sea of Galilee is where they got fish. So back in Jesus' day, fishing was a normal business. In fact, Josephus, a first century historian, says that in his day, 330 boats sailed the waters of this lake. In other words, the fishing market in this area was a very normal job. And all the disciples that we hear about in this section of scripture, just right here, these verses, were fishermen. Which tells us that they had a normal job, that it was probably steady income. And these are the men that Jesus chose to ask to follow him. Even though they were normal, simple men, Jesus called them to follow him. 
And we see that these men left everything to follow Jesus. Relook at the passage. We see in verse 19 that Jesus goes to James and John and asks them to follow him, but we also see their father's name mentioned. And we see that James and John left their father literally in the boat with their hired servants. And this is important to note because like I said, Mark comes at you quick. The words that he picks are important. So here we see that he mentions Zebedee twice. Imagine being Zebedee in this moment. The fishing market is booming. You are a fisherman with hired servants, which means you have a lucrative business going. And in this culture, when they would have a business, they would pass it on to their sons. Now imagine this rabbi comes up to your sons and says, follow me, and your sons get up and walk away from you. Can you imagine how Zebedee might have been feeling in that moment? The shock. He might have even been really angry with his sons about doing this. He built a business to pass on to his sons. And all of a sudden, a rabbi comes by, and his kids are compelled to walk away. Now, this is odd, but there is something so compelling about Jesus that James and John wanted to follow him. They wanted to leave the comfort of their homes, the comfort of a lucrative business, to pursue a life of being a student of Jesus. And notice how Jesus calls them. He says, follow me. He chose them. Jesus called them to follow him, and then he said, I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus calling his disciples is very fascinating because Jesus goes against all the social norms of that time, which we see throughout the Gospels. But back in Jesus' day, a rabbi did not go out and recruit his students. A rabbi did not go and say, I handpick you, come follow me. No, it was more like a rabbi was a dean of students, <laughs> getting applications, making people jump through hoops to try to be his student. So Jesus is basically saying, you don't have to enroll. You don't have to jump through hoops to follow me. Jesus is saying, come to me as your normal self and you can be my student. This is both beautiful and crazy at the same time. It means that Jesus reaches people where they are and he calls them to him. Look at how Jesus calls them. Follow me. Notice that Jesus does the pursuing. Notice that when he calls them, he doesn't say all the things that they have to change about themselves. He doesn't say that you have to prove yourself to me. He doesn't call them to a program. He doesn't call them to a set of rules. He calls them to himself. Jesus is the one that does the pursuing. Jesus is the one that picked his disciples. Jesus is the one that calls. We just have to be willing to say yes. And the idea of Jesus calling reminds me of Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is the one that does the knocking. Jesus is the one that calls these disciples. They were the ones that responded. And not only does Jesus pursue them, not only does Jesus call them, but he also sees what the disciples could be. When Jesus calls us, he loves us as we are, but he also calls us to be who he sees us becoming. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, I will make you become fishers of men. The emphasis on I will make you. We may respond to God's grace by following Jesus, but when we sit with Jesus, he is the one that transforms us from the inside out. He is the one that makes us into something new. And I love that Jesus says, I will make them be like fishers of men. Jesus makes it super simple for them. They were fishermen. They knew what it meant to catch fish. They knew what it meant for the long, hard days of trying to get fish. But what they may not have known or understood was what is Jesus actually calling them towards? What does it actually mean to be fishers of men? And the fascinating thing to me in this section is that Jesus does this with us. <laughs> he calls us to things that kind of make sense to us, but then also drastically make no sense at all. And the fascinating thing about following Jesus or our faith is that we may not understand why Jesus came and died for us. We may not understand or want to take the place that he took for us. But what we do know is that we want to be with this man. We want to sit with him. We want to learn from him. We want to follow him. And as the disciples show here, sometimes it means you have to leave everything behind. In fact, it was a culturally normal thing in Jesus' day for students of rabbis to leave everything, cut all ties, and to become a servant of their rabbi. Now, when I see that these men immediately left their father with hired servants and followed Jesus, there's a part of me that's like, what? How could that be? Why would they do this? Like, really, they left all this comfortable stuff. Why would they go about doing this? There had to be something so compelling about this man, Jesus, that these men were willing to leave everything behind. Charles Swindoll, a famous pastor and author, sums up the compelling nature of Jesus this way. He says, there was something compelling about Jesus in his words, action, and character. Having heard his teaching and witnessed his power in action, they had seen in him many signs that he could be the long-awaited Messiah. This quote is in reference to the disciples sitting there being called by Jesus and being willing to leave everything behind. And with this information, it slightly changes the story a little bit. We see that, honestly, they had pretty good reason to leave everything. Because if they thought Jesus was the Messiah, 
he was the one to save the world. And last week we saw that Jesus came saying that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. These men heard that message. These men believed that message. These men believed that this person that was coming and calling them to follow him, they were being called to something greater. They were being called to sit with Jesus and learn about the kingdom of God. Jesus called them and they left everything to follow him. R.C. Sproul is a former pastor and theologian, says this about what it meant for the disciples to leave everything and cling to Jesus. He says, Jesus said, from this day forward, you are mine. You serve me. You are my students. And every Christian who has come after that is called to be a disciple of Christ. We are called to be a servant of him, to leave everything and to go after Christ. Why would R.C. Sproul say this? Why would the disciples leave everything, the comfort of business, the comfort of home, the comfort of a job, to walk and learn from Jesus? Because if Jesus was who he said he was, then he was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the one to bring back normality to the world. The one that is the long-awaited Savior of the world. And we know something that the disciples don't know. That not only is Jesus the Messiah, but he died for all the sin in the world, past, present, and future. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that Jesus is our friend, our Savior, our mentor, our teacher, our brother, and our example. We know that Jesus loves us. We know that Jesus will never leave us. We know that he died and rose from the dead to show us that he is the son of God. This is the man who called these disciples to follow him. The prince of peace, the holy one of Israel, the son of God. This is Jesus. And he calls us to follow him. He calls us to lay aside every idol that we are building up in our lives, that we think are gods, that we think are going to give us life, and instead lay it all aside and pursue after him. So what is it in our lives that we need to let go of or walk away from to cling to Jesus like the disciples did? Now, this is not a guilt trip at all. If we look at the words of Jesus in this section, he doesn't make it be anything about what they are doing wrong. No, he doesn't say, uh, you're doing this wrong, come follow me so I can fix it. He doesn't even say that they have to follow him. But Jesus is so compelling and what he has to offer them is the truth. A way to live that every single human was meant to live. A life fully devoted to the God of the universe. Everything else you will chase, everything else you are pursuing is worthless. 
It really is compared to a life fully devoted to God. And I pray that we can be like the disciples in these verses, willing to leave everything behind and cling to the real king of our lives. I pray that as we go through this gospel of Mark, that Jesus becomes more alive in a way that we never experienced before. That we would be willing to lay everything aside and pursue him. The man who came into the world fully God, fully human, and died on our behalf so we don't have to. So we don't have to bear the weight of our sins anymore. That we can come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and lay it at his feet. That he died and rose three days later. This is the Jesus that we are called to follow. And the beautiful thing about his message is that it starts with a call towards repentance. A recognition that we have made things gods in our lives. That we have made things more important than God. That we have built up false kingdoms that will fall apart as soon as we're gone. But the beautiful thing about the message of the cross and the beautiful thing about the message that Jesus was preaching that was so compelling is that when we turn towards him, he starts something beautiful in us. He changes us from the inside out. The things that we used to see as important aren't as important anymore. If we are open to Jesus and cling to him, Jesus changes us from the inside out. The whole idea of the art of being serious was just simply that, to cling and be with Jesus, to be transformed by him. Our responsibility is to simply sit and learn from Jesus. Jesus is the one that is making something new in us. And the incredible thing about following Jesus is that we are called to learn from him. And yet at the exact same time, we are also different, but we are called to the same thing, to follow Jesus. And this is true, but we are also called to use our gifts to honor and serve God. And not all of our gifts from the Holy Spirit are used to preach or lead worship. And trust me, if I were to sing to you all, everybody would get up and run over there where there are earplugs. And you all would hate it. Right? Don't ask me to do it. I love you too much. Okay? But God knows our gifts. God knows what his church needs. And God has blessed Jalise with an amazing gift. She is a phenomenal worship leader, and God has blessed our church with her. She has a unique set of gifts from the Holy Spirit to do what she does up here. And we all have a unique set of gifts that God is calling us to pursue. The one thing we have in common is that Jesus calls us to follow him. He calls us to love God and love others. And no matter how old or young you are, you have a purpose. We see in this passage that Jesus calls us as we are, but he also sees who we are becoming. And this is beautiful because we have Jesus as our guide. And as we continue to sit with him, as we continue to be with him, he starts making us become something else. 
as we take another step towards trusting him, as we believe that he is truly transforming us and that we can leave everything to follow him. And I believe that every single person in this room has a calling on their lives. And when we choose to follow Jesus and grow closer to him, we learn our calling, we learn our purpose, we learn our God-given gifts. He is the one that reveals those to us. And if you are struggling with thinking about, well, what, why did God make me? What, what is happening here? Like, I'd love to be willing to jump up and say yes to whatever God's calling me towards, but I don't know what that may be. I want to give you a set of three questions that come from Charles Swindoll's Living Insight Commentary on the book of Mark. The first question is, where does the Lord find you today? That does not mean physically, because you're here, right? You know, you can easily answer that. But what this means is that God knows you better than anybody else knows you. He knows your inner workings. He knows what prompts your heart, your desires, your temptations. He knows the deepest longings of your heart. So where does the Lord find you today? How is it that you are using your life? And remember that Jesus loves you exactly where you are. But don't be afraid to answer the question, where am I today? Question two is, what is the Lord's calling in your life? What is it that makes you get out of bed in the morning other than little ones needing food? What is it that's prompting your heart? What is it that you're like, I would love to do this, but there's a fear in me that's stopping me from doing that? Why do you believe you were born? What makes you feel alive? And question three, how long will it take you to say yes to the Lord's calling? Because if you're a classic overthinker, you're like, I would love to say yes, but th this question isn't answered yet. This doubt is definitely not something I can jump over. And there's this fear. You will never have every question answered. You will never have every doubt conquered. And you will have to step out in courage and face your fears. But how long will we be willing to not say yes to Jesus? Because if Jesus is who he said he is, there should be this automatic yes towards him. And I know that these three questions can seem a little cheesy. But I would encourage you to sit with them. Don't just pass them off. Sit with them. Process them. Ask the Spirit to reveal things to you that you may not have known before. And as you answer them, the Spirit may surprise you in what your next step is. In preparing this sermon, I decided to answer these three questions. And I won't exactly share what I wrote to all of them, unless you really want to know, you can ask me after service and I'll run away from you. <laughs> but to your relief, I will say one thing. I did answer question two to be a pastor. So there you go. Okay, there's that little ease right there. But as I worked on these questions, I got to question three. I might have started with question three, actually, because I didn't like how it was written. And maybe it's my personality, but I like to challenge things. And as I sat with that question, 
I wrote in my journal, the real question is how long will I live in fear? Because I realized as I sat with these questions that I really wish my immediate response was like the disciples in this section. Willing to jump up when Jesus says jump. Willing to leave everything behind to just pursue him. But I know that there's fear in my heart. And so I sat there and I, I thought about it. But luckily this, the sentence didn't end there. I continued to journal and wrote this. The real question is how long will I live in fear before I realize that we are not called to a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Or as one of my mentors and friends says, in Christ Jesus, you are made fearless. So as I sat with this third question, I prayed some more because I really wanted to be like these disciples, ready to abandon everything. Because we're not called to a spirit of fear. We're not called to a life of fear. We are called to follow Jesus. And Jesus sums up that calling in love God and love others. And in fact, there's a Bible verse that says, perfect love casts out fear. And what that means is when we say yes to Jesus, we quiet the fear and we take a step of courage to pursue a God that loves us, a God that is love, and perfect love casts out fear. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to say yes to that God. I want to be willing to leave everything and go wherever this God calls me. What would it take for us to be like the disciples? Hearing the voice of Jesus and being willing to jump up and go after him, being willing to follow the Messiah, because we are all called. Our yes to this calling should be immediate. And when we say yes to him, Jesus leads us in a way that we may never predict. But we can know that he loves us, that he died for us, that he is the one starting something in us that is going to build and build and build. He is the one that we can trust because he is who he said he was. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you are called to follow him, but you're not just called to follow him. You're called to use your gifts for his kingdom. You're called to use your talents for his kingdom. But how long will it take for you to say yes to Jesus? Let's make a decision today to say yes to him. Let's make a decision today to say, I will follow Jesus with every ounce of my being because you are called. And we don't need to be afraid to say yes. So Lord, as the worship team comes back up, I pray that we would know that you are a perfect example. You are the one to come in and die for our sins. You are the one to take steps so we can follow in your steps. You are the one that never leaves us, never abandons us, that sees us in our sin and loves us. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to follow you. 
Lord, I pray that we would know that God, his primary characteristic is love. And perfect love casts out fear. So Lord, I pray that we would be like these disciples in Mark 1, 16 through 20. That when we hear the voice of God calling us, we would immediately leave everything and follow you. Help us be willing to sit and dwell in your presence as you work on us. Help us trust you because you are the way, the truth, and the life.